Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Wednesday, July 6th, 2011, and this is episode 73. As always, I am Paul Fox, and joining me from his secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hi, everybody. How's it going, Kev? Good. Paul, I think you really should have started off with the touch. (laughs) You think so? You got the touch! (laughs) Yeah, you know. We'll, we'll let you sing that in the break later. How's that? No, no, no. no? He's going to record another, another thing. And no, no. no way. <laughs> All right. Well, we're very fortunate to have with us this week also a special guest host. We've been trying to get him on for a couple shows now, and finally we've worked out the time frames, and so he's here to join us, Mr. Casey Lau. Hello, everybody. How are you doing, Casey? Very good, very good. Thanks yeah. for inviting me on. All right. So we are here to talk about films. We talk about on this show films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. Before we get into our news this week, though, why don't we take a little bit of time to get to know our guest host, Casey. Um, So, Casey, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the work that you do? Um, You are one of the leading digerati here in Hong Kong in terms of, you know, social networking and social circles and and internet stuff, as uh, we we laymen might know it. So, uh, what is it that you do? Well, I've been I've been in the internet business, I guess, for quite a long time. I was here um, during the dot com boom in the uh, later half of last uh, the last century, I guess, until, and uh, I've been in it for since then, and uh, now back into it again as it starts to climb up again. I have a company here called the Popcorn Network, and we uh, are a digital publisher. So we're doing a bunch of different um, luxury and lifestyle. Um, websites on different verticals from women's uh, fashion shopping to men's lifestyle to wine and fine dining. So these are the kind of things we're in. Probably the one that's most interesting to your listeners will be neonpunch.com, which is a, uh, we're kind of a men's lifestyle and technology site. So um, we cover things like um, latest gadgets, latest phones, cameras, stereos, cars. Um, of course, we cover movies as well. So there's a lot of different things there that would be uh, pretty interesting, all from a Hong Kong perspective, so it's basically covering the scene here. Um, yeah, and we publish that every day, and uh, it's going quite well. And so, do you do a lot of the, I mean, are, are you sort of just the coordinator? Do you take on the sort of CSS and, and digital editing side of it, or do you do the writing, or what aspects I, do you I, take? I, I, I have, wear many, many hats, um, but uh, I consider myself the editorial director, so basically I will... Um, um, point the site in the uh, the way we want it to go and what kind of coverage we want to give to what kind of things. So mm-hmm. mostly we talk with a lot of uh, 
brands in Hong Kong, PR, marketing companies to uh, figure out the best uh, stories and the best takes on things that are happening in town. So you've been living in Hong Kong for a number of years now? Yeah, I'd say quite a few years, over over a decade I've been here. Mm-hmm. How do you find life and, and living and access to things oh. that are you know of interest, whether it be cultural or uh, technology or lifestyle related? Yeah, definitely. I love Hong Kong, obviously. I wouldn't be here that long if I didn't. I actually took a break for a year and went to uh, San Francisco during the dot-com time, but I, I came back right away. Um, and uh, every chance I got. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you're, you're here. Um, the, the convenience factor is huge. Um, not having to drive, not having to worry about parking and all these other kind of things and just being able to get around is really easy. And also buying any kind of stuff you can think of from Japan or from the States. It's all, everything's available here. So it's a pretty amazing uh, city to live in as well as, you know, just today, right? That day, it's such a beautiful day today. I was on, I was on Kowloon's side. And just driving along the uh, seawall there, and you can see all of Hong Kong's skyline. Yeah, it was a nice um, day no, today. With, yeah, no pollution, no clouds, nothing. It's just really a compared, considering I, I came home and I watched, turned on the, the news, and they're showing this footage from, um, where is it, Phoenix, I guess? Mm-hmm. A- and did you guys see that? They had this massive sandstorm that came in wow. and, and swept over the city. If you haven't seen it, go online and, and check out some of the footage. It's surreal. It looks like something like out of an end of days movie or, or the mummy or something. It's just or this massive, <laughs> massive sandstorm coming through. Um, and it's, it's kind of scary to watch that. I, I mean, I guess it's fairly common. My wife said that they, this happens in Beijing occasionally. Um, but yeah, it was just, the footage was pretty amazing. Um, but what do you think about, um, Casey, what do you think about the the challenges for media consumers and and people living in Hong Kong? We do have a lot of access. I mean, one of the things I like about living here, as someone who loves movies, is that we go we can go to pretty much any electronic shop and get an all region DVD player, um, yeah. and, and that's something that's very difficult to do, say, in, in the U.S. But I, I know that I've talked with Kevin before and some other people before that one of my big gripes is we don't have access to things like Netflix and my Xbox Live membership, for example, is, is very limited. They don't let me rent because I'm sort of out of region. Um, and mm-hmm. it seems that we don't, you know, we're, we're, even for some technology, we sometimes end up on the lower end of the spectrum. Uh, I was commenting yep. on Twitter yesterday or the day before that I had hopped over to the Apple Hong Kong store and they still don't have iPad 2s listed as shipping whereas they do in singapore um and as i remember hong kong and singapore were supposed to be on the same uh, release schedule and i'm kind of wondering if they're doing that because they're afraid of the mainlanders coming in and rushing in and buying stuff up and taking it back to china i don't know that's just my speculation but sometimes i feel like things are kind of inconvenient and making me turn to other maybe uh, less official sources if I want to watch, you know, the latest episode of a Teen Wolf or something because it's not available on Hulu outside of the U.S., even if I wanted to sign up and pay for it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a licensing problem, you know? They're, the way you, they, they have these licensing issues in different territories and people control different rights, so that's why, like, the, I, the iTunes store in Hong Kong is, doesn't have all the songs you want and all the stuff you want, right? Um, but I think that, you know, I've been here for so long, I used to have uh, a video cassettes tape sent, a VHS tape sent to me from Canada, hmm. so I could watch the latest shows, right? So that was, uh, and then my friends would, 
or my family would film, uh, uh, record them over weeks, and I'd get like six or eight weeks of Seinfeld on a on a tape, right? Mm. And that was how I watched it. So now that you can get it digitally, and yeah, there's some workarounds. You know, there's a lot of different workarounds. Um, you know, of, um, VPNs and things like that you can do to get onto these things. I mean, they're not really super blocking you, right? They're still doing. I mean, people in China use it to get to Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. So I mean, those are ways to get it. So. Sure, they're not like superficial, but you know you still have to pay for it, though, right? You still yeah. have to pay for Netflix. You still have to pay for, uh, or Hulu's free, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's workarounds, um, and I think if you really want it, like we do, you'll you'll find a way to get it. I think. I mean, it, go ahead, Kevin. Oh well, I was saying that's the kind of the price that we pay for living, you know, outside of America is that we either have to wait a certain time for things, or we have to um, work work. Uh, to get it, you know, like VPN, like Casey was saying. Uh, it's the same when I was in America. I would want to watch a movie from Hong Kong if the day it comes out, but I can't, so I have to wait for DVD or to find um, whatever way possible to get it. And that's just the way it is on either side. Well, one of the things we've talked about here before, and, and I'd like to sort of uh, pick Casey's brain about this, is, you know, sort of the future and where we're going with, all the sort of media streaming and, and digital access. I mean, you, I guess, work with distributors because of, you know, some of the sites you're involved in are involved with movies and you have promotions and things. But do you think, do you, do you foresee a future when, say, a film would be um, released day and date on a digital channel that, you know, people all over the world could simply buy? I mean, they've done this in some ways with, uh, what's the science fiction movie? Um, Monsters. Uh, got an early pre-screening release on iTunes, and it was a little bit more than it was like nine dollars um, to to rent it. Um, so it, it's a little bit more than a, a, a movie ticket, unless you're in a you know a major urban center. But I was very happy because I got to see it before you know a, a theatrical release, and I keep thinking yeah. that seems to be the the way of the future to sort of get away from these boundaries and 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 dates and. And licenses, but then I know that's going to make a lot of companies very upset because that's their revenue stream, right? Exactly. So that's like that's like anything else in the world today, right? It's like the reason why gas cars still exist. You know, when there's there's obviously alternate power sources for vehicles today, right? There's mm-hmm. too many people have too many things to lose, and so it's just the same with the movie industry. There's so many when you go to see a movie, right? Think about how many you know. You take it for granted because we always go to movies for so long, we don't really see everything, but. You know, even from the popcorn guy to the ushers, you know, everybody in this chain has to make some kind of money. So if you take all that away from them, people will definitely go for the most convenient route. I mean, yeah, you have to pay $9 for a ticket. But when you go to a, if you go with a family to see a movie, you have to uh, buy four tickets. You have to find parking. You may have to buy dinner. You have to do all these things. Like going to see a movie in this, like in the States is like a real event. Yeah. And um, if you could get that brand new uh, Pixar movie or Transformers in your house and you pay a little bit more, I think people would pay for it. Yeah. So the movie companies have absolutely nothing to lose here. They're ready to go. But it's everybody around them that's going to start to uh, get mad because they're going to lose a lot of money. But I think it's not a question if. It's definitely a when. I mean, mm. it'll, they're going to figure it out where everybody's happy. Um, and... Uh, because you know you've seen it with books, you've seen it with music, you've seen it with everything else. So it's going to come down to the real uh, blockbuster really, um, summer releases. Hmm. I mean, some people don't want to watch it at home, right? They want to. They love the experience of going to the theater and uh, hanging out. It's good for date movies. It's good to go out with your friends, right? So young people will still go out. I think it's mostly like 
maybe a different audience that probably doesn't even go to the cinema now because it's so much hassle. Hmm. So I think that even offering this kind of thing will let will create new revenue streams that don't exist even now. Hmm. So um, yeah, that's what I think. All right, interesting points. Um, all right, well let's uh, we'll, we'll pick your brain on some more stuff as we get further into our movie and news discussions. But speaking of news, we do need to move on to our news section. All right, we've got a couple of news stories to talk about this week. Um, up first from our favorite news site, Film Biz Asia, uh, Stan Lee, comic book legend, going to be coming to Asia. Um, this article coming from Patrick Freider uh, says that Stan Lee's um, going to be doing a partnership uh, with uh, in Asia with uh, the establishment of Magic Storm Entertainment. Magic Storm is backed by Rico Capital Holdings, which is a Hong Kong-based merger and acquisition company, and another company called Panda Media Partners, and a joint venture of Fidelis Entertainment and Stanley's POW. Um, now, Stanley's POW, if you're not familiar, has given us such recent classics as Stanley's Lightspeed, which is a sort of a superhero direct to sci-fi channel movie, and the reality show Who Wants to Be a Superhero, another classic that I think got into its second season. I don't know if it's gone on beyond that. Um, Stanley himself says, I've been eagerly awaiting a chance to combine the best of American superhero epics with the best of Chinese and American classical filmmaking for a motion picture that would be excitedly received worldwide. Um, so my question is, how do you say Excelsior in Chinese? Kevin, what do you think? Wait, about Excelsior in Chinese? <laughs> well, about any of it. I mean, Stan, I Stan Lee... I, it, I, I don't know if you've seen the stuff he's worked on in, in recent years. I mean, yeah, he's the creator of the Spider-Man, Iron Man, the Hulk, you know, Thor, all these guys we've been watching and spending big bucks to watch in 3D movies and things. But I don't know if he's got the creative juices anymore. I mean, he's a, he's a classic icon, but some of the stuff he's been pumping out recently is not really been up to snuff. Um, so now he wants to come in, work in Asia, and make what? Panda Man? Panda Man 5? I don't know. Whoa, a Stanley J. Chow collaboration? I can't wait. <laughs> Seriously. But that, I don't really have much faith that, that anything is going to come out of this in, in, in the short run. Maybe down the line, maybe three, four years, we'll see some kind of direct small project. Um, I don't really anticipate anything big to come from this, anything as big as whatever he's making money off of in America. What, what do you think, Casey? I mean, you're... you're... You've got some interest in comic books and comic book movies. Do you think that Stan Lee is going to be a good mix production-wise in, in Asia? I think Stan Lee um, is an icon, and he is um, his name makes makes things happen. And that's why POW exists, I think, basically, because um, people listen to Stan Lee. He's, every movie that's come out in the last 10 years that's a superhero movie has been one of his original creations. So I think that raising funding is the biggest issue here in um in filmmaking, and they always like to attach either a movie star's name, big director, or somebody like a Stan Lee onto the film. So, and it looks great. I mean, he's—I think they already gave him in China. They gave him some comic god award um, a few years ago. So they, he's already been to China. They love him there, and he's like um, well respected. So I think it's an—I think more than anything else, it's a money play. <laughs> Not to be too cynical about it, but it's like. Definitely with Stan Lee's name attached, someone's pointing out more money so they can make some films in China hmm. with his name attached. And sure, it may be strange. I mean, 
don't know if you guys saw the, the Japanese manga that he did with some uh, some of the guys over there, and it's just um, it just seems like uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what they're trying to do, but uh, you yeah, know, I've seen, I've seen some of the yeah, a lot of his stuff. I mean, does end up in Japan. I mean, they've got like Spider Man, Spider Man anime style shows, and and X Men anime style shows. Um, exactly. So he's it's, he's like you know he's like the guy who created um, Astro Boy, mm. or it's like um, the uh, the other director. Sorry, my skipping my mind, but the animation director from Japan, right? His Miyazaki. Miyazaki. Like, yeah. Miyazaki. Miyazaki. So he's like he's like that kind of guy, right? Miyazaki maybe in. In Japan, if, he, if people said he's doing an American film, people would be like, what? That's weird, right? Mm. Um, but the same, same with us, right? We know Stanley so well of doing these comics, but from the 60s, <laughs> that he's still, he's still around, he's still kicking these ideas around. It's, I mean, did you guys see the hockey stuff that he created? Was it the hockey stuff? Yeah, it was the hockey teams, right? He created superheroes for all the, um, the NHL teams. And, did he? Uh, I didn't see that. Those. You need to Google those if you haven't seen those, because those are outrageous. Mm. So uh, so he's like everywhere. So I mean, whoever his agent is, doing a great job. He's getting his name out there. But uh, I don't I don't know how what kind of uh, impact this is going to have on anything other than there's some Stanley content in China now. Hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to see what what comes out of it. I just you know I'm, I'm imagining Stanley meshed in with like uh, the founding of a Republic Two or something. <laughs> you know, making a making a. <laughs> You know the the communism man or uh, the, the the red red steel red red iron steel rust man or something uh, meets yeah. party meets meets the party platform right Captain Communist yeah. <laughs> there you go well it's a it's a great marketing thing right it'll say from the creator of Spider Man X Men mm. and the Hulk comes Panda Man people are like wow I'm gonna buy into that thing because he did all these other famous things right so it's good I mean you can't beat you can't beat that kind of marketing yeah, yeah. so if anything else. You got Stanley on your team. It's great. All right. Uh, second bit of news. Uh, also, getting into China. Uh, this also coming from Film Asia by Patrick Freider uh, about Luc Besson. Uh, Europa Corp, the Luc Besson headed company, uh, one of the largest film production and distribution firms in Europe, says it intends to open an office in China. Um, the, the, the firm has enjoyed past success in China with films like The Transporter Three. Uh, which made up to 9.4 million at the box office, and it has the uh, upcoming uh, film from Liam Neeson, Taken Two. I didn't even know they were making a sequel out of that. I just, I just saw the first one. Um, well, I mean, what's going to happen? His daughter gets taken again. He's not a very good dad, right? Um, <laughs> his son gets taken. <laughs> yeah. They're going to take him. That would, that would be good. I want to see that one. They take yeah. his arm. They take his arm. He has to find his uh, arm now. One yeah. arm. But yeah, it says uh, these are planning to be released, as well as um, there, he's working on the upcoming uh, Ang Su Ki biopic, The Lady, starring uh, local actress Michelle Yeoh, and that will be released in France on the 30th of November. So Luc Besson trying to get a piece of the China market now, Kevin. Um, I don't mm. know. Is it good news, bad news? Luke Besson has always been kind of an Asian file. I mean, look at um, Wasabi uh, from years ago, where Jean yeah. Reno goes to That's Japan. That's a great movie, by the way. I love that movie. Really? Just the one where this fictional Japan where everyone speaks French. Yeah. Um, and then you have 
a Shu Chi being in the first transporter movie, and now you have the Ong uh, San Suu Kyi biopic. Um, it's not a surprise that Luc Besson is looking for um, an Asian expansion with his projects. Um, I am not. I'm also not surprised that he would choose China because China is really where it is for the next, you know, good five, ten years, probably. When we talk about the Asian film industry, mm. so it's not really a surprise. But it will be interesting to see what. China has his store for Basson. Um, he will probably have some culture shock, run into a lot of different issues, and I wouldn't be surprised if he has a lot of trouble getting a film made in China. I think he has bigger success getting films played in China, but not so much uh, with the making part. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the article goes on to mention that uh, uh, the, the CEO of Europa Corp is a Christoph, Christoph Lambert. And I kept doing searches for this guy, thinking it was Christopher Lambert, yeah, the actor. Yeah. yeah, but no, it's a, it's a different guy. It's a it's a younger guy. Oh, um, oh not, yeah, not the same guy. I was thinking oh, that'd be cool. The Highlander, Highlander was like the CEO of it. Awesome. <laughs> it's Christopher Lambert. Yeah, yeah. Lambert. Um, are you are you a Besson fan, Casey? Um, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed some of his earlier films, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the same thing that I did about Stanley, but it's obviously. He's going to China because they're going to finance his films. I yeah. mean, finance his films and also have an immediate audience to come in and uh, play play in China right away. So, I mean, you know, China has the resources, the money, everything they need. They just don't have a lot of the, uh, I guess you want to call it the software, right? So, yeah. by getting people like Stanley and Luke Besson in there, it's going to like you know uh, start to kind of uh, lay some groundwork there for the locals so they can see kind of, you know, from these kinds of people's experience how it's done so they can, you know, pick up some, you know, cues there and then be able to develop their own original stuff that mm-hmm. will be like influenced by these people, which is great. Yeah. They need this kind of uh, I mean, hands-on I'd, experience. I'd be very excited if, you know, China was really bringing these guys in and wanting to learn and, and develop stuff and, and if they relaxed some of the censorship that's in place. I think they'd you know, be able to make some really awesome stuff. Um, that, but it's that censorship problem that keeps me worried. Well, plus sure, there's, sure. Yeah, there's all this culture, cultural things. Um, I read on Twitter the other week, uh, there was a panel in Australia about the making of Dragon Pearl, this Austra- Australian-Chinese co-production. And the Australian producer had all these strange stories about how they, what, what they had to do. Uh, they had to throw parties and... And give give the final cut wrapped in an Australian flag for the for the Chinese investors or the Chinese government. This really strange stories that I, I'm guessing that you know Basong and and foreigners who try to who try to do co-productions in China are are going to going to run into and going to have some difficulties with. Mm. That's why you need to hire Kevin Ma to be your middleman. Were, were you kidding? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> They can deal with themselves. I'm, I'm staying here. Yeah. You could be the you could be the Guanxi administrator for you know foreign film firms coming in to do business. I do not dodge out though. I do not <laughs> do Guanxi. <laughs> I do not kowtow. Um, I, I am. I'm just gonna stick outside and you know keep making fun of these people. All Let's right, go. fair enough. Mm. Um, let's see a little, another bit of news, uh, also film related. Uh, that uh, this relating to. The Hong Kong, or no, the China series, Pleasant Goat and Big Big Wolf, another story from Patrick Freider, this one from uh, just a few days ago, uh, yesterday, in fact, mm-hmm. July 5th. Uh, the Hong Kong-based animation group Imagi is striking a production and distribution deal with Disney 
for this film franchise, Pleasant Goat and Big Wolf, which I have not seen any of yet, uh, because primarily they don't play them locally with English subtitles, but I did check on Yes Asia, and the DVDs do have them, so I probably need to pick some up and start watching some of these at some point. Um, Disney will also handle the worldwide distribution, except for Hong Kong and China's theatrical rights, of the new movie, which is scheduled to be released next year in spring 2012. Um, and one of the things they're doing, it says uh, a little bit in the article, is they're introducing a, a new character called um, Xiaolong, or Xiaolong, a dragon character from a Chinese TV series called Kung Fu Dragon. That's kind of like Kung Fu Panda? I don't know. Um, I tried to find some footage on YouTube or, or on the web or some images of this character. I could not find anything. Um, the search results kept throwing me back to Bruce Lee references and things. <laughs> um, but, I, but I did look. I didn't find anything. But So this, this character is kind of co-produced and distributed by Disney, this, this dragon character. And so that's going to be sort of the, the central point of negotiation for the, for the two companies. Um, but I don't know. Do you think, have you seen any of the Pleasant Goat films, Kevin? Do you think these are going to fly? Under the Disney banner overseas, uh, I, I've seen bits and pieces of the TV series. Um, this is very, very big news for Imagi, um, even bigger than Disney, because Imagi has a lot of financial trouble. They were going to start this whole local Hong Kong animation um, thing. Uh, they made Astro Boy. They signed a deal with um, who was it, the Weinstein Company. Uh, they were going to make. They lost a lot of money on Astro Boy, and they couldn't even finish. Gotcha, man. Before they had to, I think, fire almost all the animation staff. This is kind of their comeback. And to get essentially China's most successful anime animation franchise, it's uh, very, very big news for Imagi. Uh, also for the Pleasant Goat people, um, to have Disney represent them overseas is also very big. The Pleasant Goat and Big Big Wolf movie, they're, they're now a New Year tradition. They, they've been playing in China during the New Year uh, slot for the last three years and the box office has essentially grown double from mm -hmm. film to film so for good for imaji i'm not sure how it's going to fly in uh around the world it might help to have a disney disney banner on it but it all has to do with how much people outside of china are willing to accept this chinese anime series um Especially now, there's a dragon involved, so it's, it's kind of adds to that Chinese identity. Uh, I I haven't really seen the film, so I don't know how they travel. They would travel outside uh, Chinese culture, but it would be interesting to see what would happen to Imagine and what would happen to the series after this. Yeah, I mean, I I was disappointed that they dumped uh, Gotcha Man, but I was not really happy with the way they did Astro Boy. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's, uh, they they took a really big gamble, and obviously they kind of. Because they worked at working with a studio that hadn't really done any animation. So that was kind of their big mistake. And they sadly, they failed into building Hong Kong into an animation hub or building this Hong Kong animated company. Um, I hope that taking on these outside projects would help them bring them back. Uh, I'm not sure if they should develop a more original animation. But, you know, by all means, as a Hong Konger, I hope that Imaji will climb back and become successful somehow. Casey, are you a fan of the uh, Pleasant Goat and Big Big Wolf series? Um, no, I don't even know what those are. I feel bad. <laughs> I need to. I should have googled these before we started. But I know Imaji. Yeah. Um, I went to see, I went to see their uh, their thing like about, about a year ago. 
their operation. I think they were, were they? I think they were in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just like you know, just a big office of a bunch of computers and a bunch of young young people working there. Did you ever see the Astro um, Boy movie? I did. I they were working on it when I was there, but um, more importantly, I saw the. Well, it's on the internet now, but I saw like I don't know three minutes of Gotcha Man. Mm. Um, it was like a test test footage, and I. I wrote a big article. I wrote a big rundown of it. A lot of people linked to it. Um, but this, I, I swear, this was three years ago now. Um, but it was an amazing, like, real three-minute reel um, for the movie. And I was like, why are they doing Astro Boy first? They should do Gotcha Man first because Astro Boy's already just recently came out. Like, I don't know, five six years ago with a new animated series that yeah. failed, like in Japan and in the states. So I'm not sure why they say, hey, let's do it again. Let's do it one more time. <clears throat> When Gotcha Man Battle of the Planets hasn't hasn't been brought back, and there are so many fans of that show, and the way they did it was fantastic. They kind of updated it a little bit and uh, really played on the, the characters' uh, personalities. I mean, there was no voice; it was all um, no um, voiceover. It was all mm-hmm. like action, but it looked amazing. Like, it was like Incredibles in in the sense that it was very exciting. So, um, I'm sure whoever made that decision regrets it that they went for Astro Boy instead of Gotcha Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was interesting. I, I, I really wanted to like Astro Boy, but it just... And I actually liked the, the anime reboot. I know a lot of people didn't, um, but I you know I, I got into it. I, I, I ended up liking that a lot more than... I know there are a lot of traditionalists out there that didn't like uh, some of the stylistic and narrative changes, but uh, I enjoyed that, but really disappointed with the, the film release. All right, yeah. fourth story this week. Uh, just a little story I stumbled across on, uh, I think it was MSN Movies. Uh, found it kind of interesting, given the person we're going to be talking about in just a little bit. Um, this is a little bit of a tiff between Harrison Ford, who was criticizing former co-star Shia LaBeouf for statements that he made about Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, Ford was quoted as saying, and this is from uh, Details magazine, uh, I think I told him he was an effing idiot. Uh, as an actor, I think it's my obligation to support the film without making a complete A of myself. Shia is ambitious, attentive, and talented, and he's learning how to deal with a situation that is very unique and difficult, uh, like being in a bomb. <laughs> that was uh, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, after the f- release of the film, uh, LaBeouf told the Los Angeles Times uh, 24 Frames blog, I feel like I dropped the ball on a legacy that people loved and cherished. You can blame it on the writer. You can blame it on the director, Stephen. Uh, but the actor's job is to make it come alive and make it work, and I couldn't do it. Uh, I wonder if he's saying that now. I don't know. Uh, it, the, there's should have blamed George Lucas. <laughs> there's some additional links of interest, uh, saying Shia says he also hooked up with Megan Fox. And Selena Gomez uh, is starstruck after meeting Shia LaBeouf. Um, so yeah, I, this is just a little bit of a funny gossipy news that I that I stumbled across. But um, I don't know. I I, I who do, who who do you whose side do you take here, guys? I mean, is this a, is 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 Harrison Ford right? Do you just uh, get behind the film even if you think you've made a lemon and and just continue to praise it? Or do you come out and say, yeah, I think I messed up. I think I uh, kind of, you know, killed everyone's childhood. Well, it looks, let's look on the bright side. At least LeBouf didn't call Steven Spielberg a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, um, he didn't make the Megan Fox mistake. Um, but I think Ford 
in some way he he's kind of old Hollywood, and I think in a way he's right. You don't come out and you know because Indiana Jones was kind of his big uh, Labeouf's big um, step up to um, big Hollywood to be. It was supposed he was supposed to take over the franchise. Um, Spielberg gave him a really big chance, and I think he should have just kept his mouth shut. I mean, kept keep these sort of things private um, or way way later. Don't come out in a year or two, uh, essentially bashing the movie that gave you a big break. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it was a wise thing to do. Uh, I think he was just... Um, I'm not sure what LeBou was trying to do. I think he was trying to gain some cred with his, with his fans, and it wasn't a wise move, mm-hmm. I think. I don't think it's to destroy him, because he does kind of blame... He puts the blame on himself, but he's still saying, I did this movie that sucked. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, I don't think that's a wise choice to make, especially at this point in his career. Well, what, what do you say, Casey? Is it? Is it? Are you on the... Harrison's side or, or Shia's side? Um, I think that, uh, I think, uh, well, when you're young, you don't really know, you know, all the moving parts and you want to sound cool in print or whatever. But I think, I mean, Harrison Ford, how many, how many movies has he made? How many bombs has he made? Uh, you know, he, he knows the Hollywood game and he knows how to, um, you know, he wants a job in the future to work with other directors, right, and different studios. So I think that, you know, an, an actor, that's why it's really hard to watch talk shows when you see um, the movie stars go on there and talk about their film because they're there promoting it, so they're just like a PR person. Yeah. They're not going to say the movie's terrible. They have to say it was great. And look at Ryan Reynolds. I mean, I'm sure he knew that that movie, Green Lantern, was, a, was going to be a, a huge bomb. I mean, he was there acting, acting it and read the script, so he must know that it was going to be bad. But he is a great team player, and, and I saw him on... On Conan, and he was just, or yeah, he was just great. You know, he was just really so. Maybe you want to see the movie, hmm. so you can't. I don't think you can go into that point and say that it was bad, and I, I didn't want to be part of it and whatever like that, right? So, um, definitely, I think that, uh, and also, and also, I also made this mistake recently. I was talking to some um, some people working in the movie business and and criticized them in their film, and they're like, one of the things they brought up to me, which is also a thing. There's like 300 to 400, 500 people working on a movie. So when you criticize a movie, you're criticizing like 300 people's work. Yeah. And they've dedicated their lives maybe for anywhere from like three months to a year of, of their lives on this film. So um, it's, you know, it's still, I think, uh, you have to be a bit tactful when making comments like that. Yeah, I can see that side you know, of it. Um, yeah, it's definitely all about sound bites for print, though. I mean, you know, Shia LaBeouf, he's great. You know, all this stuff he said recently in the Details magazine. May, may, I read the article. I mean, I just saw some of the clips. I was like, whoa, they're going to read this. So it's definitely, uh, you know, if he wants to get his name out there, he's definitely doing his side right. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for him. I mean, I, I used to love him on the show he was on, uh, Even Stevens. I loved that show. I thought he was great. I thought he was funny. Um, and then I don't know what happened. He kind of got older. I, what was he in that? The Will Smith movie? Um was it AI? iRobot? Or, or iRobot, iRobot, yeah. And and he started to get a little bit, you know, teenager-ish more and then growing up a little bit more and growing away from the even Stevens character. And I just don't know if he's found his niche yet. Um, he's starting to just seem like Tobey Maguire, but with sass. <laughs> and and not as good dance moves, I guess, right? <laughs> he's good as that he's good as that that kid sidekick. Yeah. He was in uh he was an iRobot. He was in Constantine as well. He was also Keanu Reeves' sidekick. Oh yeah, that's right. He was a sidekick yeah. in a lot of lot of movies, and, I didn't and so see that's the, I the guess one, where he was. The, what was his? What that one movie was it? That his big breakaway role as a lead? Um, Disturbia. I didn't see Disturbia. that. Yeah. Disturbia yes. was his. I think Disturbia was his first uh, solo film. Yeah. 
which wasn't that good either. Mm. Yeah, I guess but it made money, so it worked. I guess he's uh, made money, still yeah. finding, well, finding his uh, acting legs out there in Hollywood. Yeah. I think just getting older and he's getting big roles, you know, like Wall Street and the, the Transformers movie. And uh, he started to lead his own action film, you know, like Eagle Eye. And just getting, he's getting an eagle. And he's still he's still young, and he's still trying to find what he can say and what he can't say. I don't think um, him battling for Hells and Four is a good idea, but I don't think it would destroy him. Um, Transformers made a lot of money. I think it's continue to get big roles. Um, I just hope that someday he doesn't really step on the wrong foot mm. and really destroy his own career. Yeah, I liked Eagle Eye, by the way. I mean, if it was it was yeah, solid, yeah, that was okay. Science fiction fun. Um, yeah, it's okay. Be movie kind of way. Now I can't remember. But I, I mean, I know, but you don't remember him in the movie. You don't think, oh, that movie wouldn't have worked without him. And no, it, right? it was just the, that's true. The story was quite. It could have been any of the. Could other have been any any guy dumb, saying dumb no, 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 right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or go, so, go, yeah, go. I thought, uh, I thought. I thought. I mean, I thought he did a great job in the first Transformers because he he kind of brought you. He brought that human element into the uh, into the, the crazy world of robots that transform for people who don't know what it's about. Yeah. So I think he did a good job there, but yeah, I mean his other films. I'm looking at his IMDb thing, and I, I don't really see anything else that was like really stand out. I mean, I think he did really good when he was younger. Mm. <laughs> he was just starting out. Those movies seem to be more memorable. All right, uh, last bit of news, Kevin. You've got a story about box office gouging in China. That's right. Um, Wuxia opened on Monday. That's Peter Chan's new, new film in China. And some netizens... I already covered this in the blog, so I'm, I'll try to be brief. Uh, some netizens have posted pictures of tickets um, that they got. Is that they would have... So, okay, so this is what happens uh, when, when someone gouges box office. Let's say you, buy, you, you want to buy a ticket to Wuxia. Uh, the theater prints you a ticket for something, say, like the beginning of The Great Revival. And then... Instead of you know having this ticket to watch Wuxia, they handwrite the information. Uh, they scratch out the stuff that's printed, and they write handwrite the information and hand it to you, and use that ticket to get into Wuxia. Now, what does that mean? That means in a computer, the money goes into beginning of the Great Revival's box office, mm. and you get to watch Wuxia. Um, this caused quite a bit of controversy, especially because. Um, this, these are two big films, and Beginning of Great Revival is underperforming at the Chinese box office, um, and and a lot of netizens are picking this up, and they're they then the damage control is quickly quickly done. Uh, the distributor talked to talked to cinemas, and and the cinema says it's already settled. China film groups already denied that they had any hand to do with it. Um, we're not sure why this is happening, but this is a big enough news that it became the front page front page story on the entertainment news uh, on Apple Daily today. Hmm. Um, this is kind of one of the few, one of the many shady practices uh, in China. Um, I'm not sure who is doing it or there are many reasons, there are many interests at play here. China Film Group needs needs the box office. They need to save face. Uh, the theaters may want to get beginning of the Great Revival out of the way to get that so-called Rumored 800 million targets so they could put in, bring in Transformers and Harry Potter um, and just all that other stuff in between. But uh, this is kind of one of those interesting, unique situations that's going on in this rising market um, where you have a free market, a so-called free market, but you have many hands kind of working to, to, 
to control it. Uh, I think that's one of the more interesting uh, observations going on right now in the Chinese film industry. Mm. Uh, Paul, what have you ran into anything like this ever before anywhere? Yes. yes. Really? Yes. yes. And you know, they, I know, people are gonna say, "Oh, China and communism and and control." I, when I worked at a theater in my high school days, gosh, just so long ago. Um, like five years ago, right? I wish. <laughs> You're the baby on this show. You got to remember that. Um, the I, I worked, you know, concession and tickets and stuff. It's just a basic, you know, sort of a part-time working at a movie theater job. This was before I got to go up and work in the pro- pro- projection booth, as we talked about before. And one of the things the manager would have us do, and this was a major theater chain whose name I won't mention here, because um, I, I don't know if they're still around in the U.S., but they are still around globally. But they, the manager would have us resell tickets. Um, and he would basically what you would do is, because you, you'd rip the ticket, you'd have the ticket stub left, um, and the, the customer would have a ticket stub. So then you would have a bunch of ticket stubs, and then you would just um, give those ticket stubs, you'd pretend to rip something, and then let the let the customers come in but basically there's no record of it because it's an already used ticket stub and you end up you the way you do is you you just tell the customer to come in you don't actually give them a stub but you look like you were ripping something with this old stub and the money goes completely you know sort of under the table and you know the manager takes care of the money at the end of the night and we don't know if that was going into his pocket or it was going into the theater's pocket um, and you could only do it on certain times because they would have checkers who would come and do counting in the cinemas every, every like, once a week to check the numbers. Um, so you wouldn't do it, like, on a Friday or a Saturday. You'd only do it, like, on a Tuesday or Wednesday when the numbers would be lower and the checkers weren't, wouldn't come on those days. So, yeah, I, I, it's, you know, I think theaters have gone, done these kinds of shady practices in different, different forms and different ways. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing new, but then again, it is because here they're kind of doing it officially on, on the computer instead of off the books. Yeah. I don't know. Casey, what do you say? Box office gouging? Um, I don't know. Re- re- reselling, reselling popcorn cups. I know. Sounds crazy, but that's not, I don't put anything past China. So doesn't sound, uh, that, that out of control. I'm sure that's just one of the only small things that you'll find in the movie business over there. <laughs> yeah. the, the thing is, Hong Kong theaters also used to have handwritten tickets. So I'm, I wouldn't, well, then again, there were less multiplexes, but I wouldn't be so surprised if such practices happened in yeah. Hong Kong or it actually still happens in Hong Kong because you have certain films um, or a certain theater circuit uh, whose name I shouldn't review here. Sometimes they take up 60%, the four theaters in that circuit take up 60% of a, a, of a daily box office, which is very strange because those four theaters are not very good. One of them is a certain 900-seat theater in Hong Kong that uh, we, we, we frequent. Um, and, and there's no reason for people to especially choose that theater chain for those movies, but somehow they take up 60% of the, of the box office gross. Now, that may not that may there may be shadier, more criminal things at work there that we probably shouldn't go into. But yeah. it's I think it's a good good point that you made, Paul, that these things don't just happen in China or just because it's China. Yeah. Or anything like that. All right. That is our news for this week. It is time to move on. Uh, we do not have an East Screen feature this week, because last week we had a double feature. So this week we've only got West Screen, and we'll talk about that right after this. 
So, our West Screen film for this week, Transformers 3, Dark of the Moon, the latest uh, sequel in the trilogy of the Transformers films from the big bad director known as Michael Bay. So, in this third installment, um, they kind of tie things in with a little bit of history, and the story takes place a little bit in the past with some of the very first uh, moon missions when it's discovered that something, some kind of foreign object, has crashed on the moon. And this, in turn, prompts the space race, the race between the United States and the Russians to try and find out what indeed is up there. So all this time, for those of you who thought that it was actually a hoax, it wasn't a hoax. We were going to find Transformers on the moon. Um, that sets up the basis for this. Then we jump to the present day, uh, post-Transformers 2, when this information starts to leak out and people who were involved in the program start to turn up missing, uh, and we are introduced to our heroes, Optimus Prime and Bumblebee, who are none too happy to find out that the humans have been keeping this information from them. They take it upon themselves to fly up to the moon to recover some of the um, components that were there, including a uh, long-lost uh, um, Autobot hero, I guess you would call him, known as Sentinel, voiced by Leonard Nimoy. Um, although everything's not what it seems, there's a big sort of MacGuffin device um, that is in the works and that the Decepticons are trying to get a hold of that can spell doom for the rest of the world. And caught in all of this mess is our protagonist, played by Sheila Booth, uh, Sam Witwicky. So that kind of sums it up. You, you get into the midst of it and there's more robots and more fighting and a lot more of Sheila mm -hmm. Booth. No Megan Fox this time, um, but, yeah, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. So, um, Casey, I'm going to throw it to you first. Transformers 3, Dark of the Moon. What do you say? Um, yeah, it's probably the best movie I've seen this year. Kidding. Totally kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, what can, what, do you mean, what, do you, what can we say about this film? Um, actually, I was very excited to see it because I was invited to a Paramount... Um, summer showcase where they uh, showed off a lot of their new movies for this year. They showed screening, uh, showed, they showed like 10 minutes of uh, Super 8. They showed us a bunch of sequences from Cowboys and Aliens. They showed us, um, and then trailers for a bunch of the other films coming out, but they did show an extended sequence for Transformers. And of course, you know, the second movie I was very disappointed with. I thought the first one was okay. The second one was a bit disappointing because I don't even know what was I didn't know what was happening half the time and I think I fell asleep and I can't believe I'd fall asleep in a Michael Bay movie um, because I, I I will admit I do actually enjoy his films I, I some of his movies like Armageddon, um, Bad Boys and uh, The Island I, those are movies that I thought were quite exciting but um, the Transformers movies I'm a little bit disappointed by because of course he is not a fan and he changes a lot of stuff that he wants to change and of course as a not, I'm not, I wouldn't say I was a Transformers purist, but I was, um, I'm definitely a fan, and uh, I know all the characters, and I know all the stories from the cartoons and the comics, so I know all that stuff, so when you see it, and there's a lot of things change, or there's not enough um, you know, focus on the Autobots and the Septicon characters, and you, know, you feel a little bit shortchanged, but uh, this new movie um, was much better than the second one, that's for sure, because um, there was a lot of fan service in it, which was great. Um, but uh, still, I think I did fall asleep toward the end. That last uh, act was way too long, 
And uh, yeah, you know, the Transformers themselves are so detailed. It's when they're moving around, it's, I don't know what's going on. Maybe I'm getting old, but I thought that it was, uh, it was, uh, it was quite a feature. Oh, but I was saying, like I was saying, I was watching this um, preview and yeah, they showed us some sequences in 2D and then they showed us a whole new trailer, extended trailer in 3D and it looked fantastic. I mean, they showed us all the right parts, but I, you know, I've been shortchanged for that before. I saw the Green Lantern 20 minute preview as well and I was blown away by that and they sh and those were the best 20 minutes of the movie, right? Um, so same with Transformers. They, the whole sequence when, um, uh, what's his name, Sam is uh, attached by a string or by some kind of mechanical rope to Starscream and he's throwing them around. Yeah. We saw that in 2D and it looked, it looked okay. It looked exciting. But when it was in 3D, it looked amazing because he was like, really coming out at you. That whole um, airstrike by the, uh, the Navy guys jumping out of the plane with those bat wings on, it looked fantastic. So it was really, really exciting. We're like, wow, this is going to be... They're really like they're really utilizing, it. and he, and even Michael Bay comes on in the screen and says, "This is going to be the best 3D movie since Avatar." You know that was because it was shot to be in 3D, right? So fantastic. You know we believe him, um, but of course, you know that's not the whole thing, right? The story is quite important as well, and so I thought that was a bit um, a bit lacking. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I didn't like it, but I didn't hate it like super much. Hate it. I mean, I liked it. There's a lot of cool things about it. Um, and then uh, a lot of this action sequence is fantastic, but you know, and uh, the new girl was fantastic in it as well. I mean, I just can't believe he can get away with shooting a movie um, with her in it like he does um, when it's a kid's movie, but sure, it's great. <laughs> All right, Mr. Ma, what was your take on the Dark of the Moon? What a soulless piece of trash sorry that's just the i had to have an opening line um as always i think michael bay gets off on on death and destruction lots of things get blown up lots of people die you know you get people who are just uh, out outright incinerated kind of like war of the worlds uh except without the consequences it's really just all punch it's just relentless with the special effects it's especially in the last hour the the chicago siege it is just I couldn't even tell the, between the robots. I'm not a really previous Transformer fan, so I'm just kind of seeing this. I've only seen the films. Um, it was just a relentless barrage of, of special effects. And, and um, I, I like how like, Michael Bay likes to show off that he had these real army guys jump off the plane, the wings and everything, and they were real. They were done for real in the middle of Chicago. And I don't care because everything else around them is fake. So what's the point? What's the point of spending all these effort to, to make this big real stunt when everything else around them is, are, are fake. Um, the visuals are great. Michael Bay, if he cares about anything, that is his visuals and they are great, you know, but that's about it. Um, the story is just as nonsensical as the, as the second film. In a way, I kind of prefer the second film. I'm not sure why, because I think there was more of a build up. Build up. In a way, here it's just kind of it starts off kind of uh, mad. It starts off in this really quick pace. Yeah, you you got to admit, you just like the second film because Devastator got punched in the wrecking balls. <laughs> <laughs> I do not miss the I do not miss the robot testicles. That is true. Okay, I will admit that. Um, the but then uh, you know the visuals I think here is even stronger than the, in the second film. Obviously, Chicago Siege in that really totally nuts kind of way you know it's a great sequence uh but again because part because the human were so over the top that i just didn't really care about any of them uh in the second film you had a few of those people 
But now in the third movie, everyone is a caricature. Everyone is playing it, you know, at, at 11 in a way, in the Spinal Tap way. Um, I saw it in 35 millimeter and it was already overwhelming. I saw it in 2D and it was overwhelming for me already. Um, how was it? Did you guys both see it in 3D? Yeah, I did. In case you yeah, saw it in 3D. Yeah, I so was it... Okay, so was it the game changer slash saver that Paramount was hoping for, or is it just another? Did, well, first of all, did you guys get the? Did you guys get to see the brighter, the so-called brighter three D prints that Michael Bay was promising? Uh, I don't know if it was brighter or not. Um, yeah, I couldn't tell you that. My either. my wife and I both got sick. Okay. Well, we were feeling dizzy, that's and good. we both we both had a headache after the movie. Um, and and that's not that's from the story, not from the actual three years. <laughs> that's from John Malkovich's performance. <laughs> exactly, that's from the over-the-top performances by Ken Jeong and those guys. Wow, yeah, yeah. Ken Jeong drove me nuts. Just the way he I was know. jumping at him, it's because I, I it was I was so my soul was so sucked out that I went home and watched and watched uh, Sing of the Rain. Just because I need somebody to cleanse me, and then and then I read about this this dance sequence that the actor uh, did, and then after he did it, he needed three days to rest just after doing that sequence, and that's how I felt. Ken Jeong was a felt after he done he did his five minutes that he needed to sleep for like five days after he did his his role because it was so over the top. Mm. Um, to the the so called all of that, there's all those big actors in there that they all were given a hit on the crack pipe before they started their scenes. <laughs> I don't think I've seen any of them so over the top. Well, except for John DeToro, right? He was like that in the last, yeah. the last two. Yeah. But it's just like, it's like, hey, come out and play. Um, come on, play, and we'll pay you to like just go nuts in front of the camera and lose like any kind of dignity and any kind of respect you've gained as an actor in the last. <laughs> 20 years of your careers, right? It's almost like I think mean, Michael Bay figured out how much each actor's dignity is worth. And that's exactly. exactly. <laughs> like, you won't take this many million? How about that many million? Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, it, it, was, it was nuts. I mean, the actors were just as nuts as the robot. But the thing is, I cared more about the robots than the human. And it's, it was very strange. Um, speaking of robots, um, did I... I'm afraid of walking into a spoiler, but was did I really sense a plot hole? Could this story did this story we really need to be to to wait until the third installment to do, in the sense of the chronological order of what happens in the film? Could this have happened, say, as the first movie, or could this have happened, say, in the second movie? Uh, if you guys know what I'm what I'm trying to point at here, I, I you know, it's it. it there's a lot that doesn't make sense here. I mean, the hole's bigger than the building that the guys jumped through, right? It's, uh, it was, it was, in, in that sense, in terms of the narrative sequence, no, it that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, on, the only, the only real connection you get is that some of, you know, some of the Decepticons, you know, are obvious, have obviously been defeated, uh, by the events of the last movie. And that's mm-hmm. a that's a physical thing that you actually see. So, but yeah, it, it's it's not really that relevant. Okay, and then with that follow up, was was it just because? And I'm especially sensitive to this because um, I, I think that Michael Bay went out of his way in the second movie to make fun of Obama because I think he's a conservative, and I hate to use a political, but I get, we're, we're all we're all Americans, so we have to I have to throw this out. Was there a pro foreign occupation message in the film, or was it just me? Do you think? Um, and then I'm talking about the Autobots in the third act. What they what they, they choose to do, and their message. I, I don't know. I didn't get that sense, Casey. Did you? 
Mm, no, but now you say it. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, there. It just feels like. And I mean, I, again, that was definitely that was definitely there in the second one. I mean, if you remember the the opening sequence in in the second film was all in China, you know, and all about mm-hmm. the, them taking this sort of unilateral action in China, although they were supposed to have some some authority to be there, but then they didn't. So, um, you know, he kind of had that sense in the second one. Um, I guess uh, if I ever watch it again, I'll have to pay more attention. <laughs> okay, because this is something that really jumped out at me, especially when Michael Bay went out of his way to, to use... Because usually when in these films, you use like a fictional president, right? But in the second film, it was like Bay especially used uh, named Obama and he had his, his gov- government crony he was like the, the bad guy or the, the pseudo douche from the government. It is <laughs> something really weird. Um, but again, now in line with the army and whatever, Michael Bay talked about a third act as the homeland version of Mike, uh, Black Hawk Down. Uh, I have to correct Michael Bay there. No, Black Hawk Down has so your movie didn't. All right. <laughs> You know, of course they I have could, soul. They're robots. Robots don't have soul. They have a spark. That's speaking, that's speaking Ebonics. It was just, anyway, no, it's just the whole thing about, you know, you're destroying an entire city and uh, you don't, all these people dying and then the movie just kind of wraps up at the end when, you know, it's like, okay, we, we've beaten the robots and, you know, we forget about the thousands or the ten, tens of thousands of people that just died from this alien invasion. Um, Michael Bay's style is really apparent um, just from that first 10 minutes. Um, you have the, the, the launching of the space shuttle, the Apollo, you can already see traces of Armageddon. And you have the, the slow motion shots of the, uh, the, the woman, I'm not sure what her name is. I think I remember it's a free, free word name, uh, the British hot chick um and you have her you know standing there perfect hair after all this destruction and stuff exploding behind her and yet her hair is still perfect and she's standing in slow motion it, it just at times it it feels like michael bay's make is being a parody of himself um and i don't think he has any sense of humor but i don't think he even realizes how how much he's still stuck on this outdated mtv style uh and it was I was just kind of getting sick of it. And don't don't get me wrong. I really was a big Michael Bay fanboy. I even saw Armageddon opening day in America. I remember I was a big fan of, you know, Bad Boys and all those and The Rock and all those stuff. But it's just kind of it's just kind of getting old now. Um, but looking at the money that it made, it broke the biggest opening weekend in Hong Kong ever. Uh, it's already made like 200 million overseas. This is apparently what the audiences want. So what can we do? We do, you know, as, as film fans, as people who appreciate good movies, you know, people will still go and watch this and they'll make more, more of it. And it's just kind of sad. I think there's something to throw out there. Um, as for the rating, the, the, for the visual factor, if you're really interested in seeing how the special effects work in 3D or 2D, um, I would say see it, especially if you can get this, this sort of ultra-bright print so you don't have to see 3D in, in dim, dim 3D glasses. I would say see it. But otherwise skip it because there really is no middle ground you can't really just tv this on on your 20 inch tv on hbo it's not going this movie's not going to work <laughs> on. uh so you either see it on a big screen or you skip it then that's what i think Paul, yeah. well get last word uh i don't yeah as i mentioned i came out of the movie with a headache my wife did too um there there's just a lot going on and I think, as, as Casey was mentioning, you know, the, the detail on the robots and they're moving around so fast. And then you've got 3D on top of that. Um, I, I was just, I was seriously dizzy with a little bit of a headache. And I hadn't felt that way since uh, Cloverfield. Um, I haven't had, I didn't have that problem in Avatar. I haven't had that problem since. 
So I thought at first it was just me, but when my wife said she it was affecting her that way too, I was kind of like, okay. So for me, Michael Bay hasn't learned his lesson. And when I say that and I see the figures and the fact that it is the biggest grossing film in Hong Kong and, and is going to go on to make huge numbers worldwide, is making huge, huge numbers worldwide, um, I have to say, well, maybe we as the audience haven't learned our lesson. Uh, he knows how to pump up the films. I purposely tried to stay away from as much publicity material for this film as possible because I wanted to go into it pretty much not knowing anything and seeing if I liked it any better because I was all over the, the, the stuff for Transformers 2 thinking, oh, this has got to be you know, a bigger and better than, than the first one. Um, but he hasn't learned his lesson, and that lesson is people want, fans want to see the Transformers. They don't want to see the humans. Um, and all I kept seeing here was lots and lots of human stuff that I didn't care about. Way too much unneeded human interaction. The parents coming in in the RV and the green jumpsuits. It's like, you know, oh, your son doesn't have a job. Who cares? I don't care. Where's Optimus? Where's Bumblebee? Where's Ironhide? You know, uh, what, what are they planning? What are they plotting? What are they doing? What mission are they on? Show me more of that stuff. Um, way, you know, so there's way too much of that. John Malkovich coming in, uh, you know, as this... <laughs> this boss, and then he does like a 180 character change uh, in the last few scenes he's in. It's just like weird stuff. And then Ken Jeong shows up, and I'm like, wait, wait you got your hangover in my Transformers. What's what's going on here? Um, and then and then Patrick Dempsey, out of the blue, I'm thinking, you know, this is the, 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 the guy from, you know, romance stuff, and I, it's just really weird. I wasn't expecting to see all these all these people. I was expecting to see more Transformers, more Decepticons. Um, so that point was, was kind of disappointing for me. And I was actually having a conversation on Twitter today with um, our, a friend of the show, Marco Spomberg. And he was saying, there's a better movie in Transformers if you take away all the CG. And I said, no, don't, don't begrudge me for my robots. There are plenty of movies about young office boys trying to get ahead, trying to find their place, trying to deal with a beautiful girlfriend you know, who has tons of rich guys and handsome guys around her. There, there are lots of movies like that. And you know? that's, that's real, reality, yes. Um, it's like in real life, yes. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> I was like, you know, give me more of my giant robots. That's what I wanted to see. Um, but I, I didn't get it, so I, w I was disappointed by that fact. Michael Bay has a love for highway chase sequences, though. Um, and and I, it, they're in almost all his movies. Uh, Casey was listening. And sometimes they're in there. Sometimes they're in their, his movies twice. Yeah, apparently. it's like um, uh, Bad Boys, or was it Bad Boys Two? Had a long one in Florida, I think in Florida or in the Keys. Um, you know, cars tumbling and, and swerving on the highway. Uh, one in the island, although it was kind of on futuristic vehicles. Um, and then here, you know, one of the major sequences was was the Transformers chase on, on the highway. I mean, great stuff, but it's like, uh, can you do something a little bit different, maybe, for a third movie? Um, no, did you, no, did you see that, though? He actually replicated the island chase sequence in Transformers. That's how much it is. Yeah, right. It's similar right. to you. Yeah. Um, There's a big a video on YouTube that shows them does, does it off the, side by side. I'll have to yeah. dig, dig that up and put it uh, as a link yeah, in the show he, notes. He, yeah, he just likes to re re recycle his stuff as well. Um, Megan Fox, no relation, by the way, unfortunately. Uh, not not really missed here. Um, you know, I know that it, that was sort of a big controversial talking gossip point during the production of the film. I think the girl they brought in, um, what's her name? Uh, Rosie Huntington Whitley. Uh, she was fine. You know, they, they kind of made 
they had the robots making fun of of Miss Fox at, at a few points. Um, but yeah, again, too much human stuff. I didn't really care about her or her relationship with him or, or any of that really. Um, lots of action. Uh, the action that I did see, kind of liked for the most part. Although, the, my big problem that to this point has been the fact that you've got Transformers and humans often fighting together um, or against each other. And I just don't see it. I mean, a, a lot of the third act of this movie is these these Decepticons going around and vaporizing people. Just It's like one shot, boom, and they just pop. you know. But then you've got the heroes just running around and dodging this stuff, and, and, and nothing's a problem. And that just doesn't... It doesn't mesh well for me. I, you know, show me lots more of robots kicking robot butt. And again, I don't need to see too much of the humans. Um, my big pr- problem with the Decepticons was that aside for a couple like Soundwave and we get introduced to Shockwave and of course Megatron, um, but most of them are faceless and nameless. And that was typically not, you know, usually in, if you're a fan of the shows, the animated shows, you were a lot more invested in uh, the, the characters because they didn't die that often uh really wanted dinobots i was hoping that was going to be like a secret santa gift or something didn't happen uh a little bit of a spoiler i'm sorry but it's just not there if you're if you're going going to see it just solely for the for the for the hope that you're going to see a dinobot you might want to save your money um but it did have a couple nice things that i enjoyed uh, bringing on leonard demoy as the voice actor for sentinel was nice. Um, if you are a fan of the animated show, the Transformers animated movie, Nimoy did the voice for Galvatron. Um, so it's not the same character, but it's it's you know it's just nice that they considered bringing him on as a voice actor. There's also a quick Spock reference uh, at one point in the film, uh, but really the, the resolution on the TV, right? Yeah, yeah. The TV, TV thing. The, the, the beginning, they're they're watching TV. Um, but the resolutions, there's, the, where's the resolutions? Can we get an epilogue, Michael Bay, please? Um, I don't want to go into the ending other than to say it's, it just ends. Um, it's kind of like just there and, and there's a lot I don't of, know what, I don't remember what happened at the end of the movie. Yeah, there's, just, was there's a lot of questions going on about other characters and, you know, the, this whole thing about Sam Witwicky and what's his place in the world and everything. A lot of that just doesn't end up getting tied up. At least in, in a way I felt satisfied with. I'm kind of glad because by that time, the movie's already ran two and a half hours and yeah. I was ready for it to end. But they're but, making it so yeah. important in the first act and into the second act. And then they just, okay, now it's no longer important because we've got to the good stuff. We've got to the, we've gotten to the, you know, the, the giant robots duking it out. Um, I mean, if you're going to take the time to put that stuff in, at least, you know, give, give some more resolution to it. Um, so yeah, I, very disappointed. It's, a lot of people say it's better than two. I kind of would say, yeah, kind of, sort of. For me, uh, if I was going to rate it, I'd say TV it. Uh, if you're in the mood for some punishment, uh, you know, watch them all together as sort of a, of a film fest and throw popcorn at your TV. Um, the, the 3D here I thought was kind of superfluous. Again, it made me kind of un, unsettled. I'm kind of wishing I would have saw it in 2D instead um but i didn't think that much of the 3d that i did see was all that great i I didn't have the same experience i had when i saw avatar so yeah what would you say casey if you're going to recommend this to people would you tell them to see it meaning see it in the cinemas would you tell them to tv it 
as to wait for it on video or on cable, or would you tell them just to flee it altogether? Um, I guess it depends on how old you are, right? If you are anybody under the age of 20, I think you'll definitely enjoy it mm. because you've not, probably not seen anything like this and you really don't care much about the story anyway. You're looking for the action. If you're anybody over 30, I'd say, yeah, just go, go and spend your time watching something else. But I don't know what that else would be. Go see The Hangover 2 again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's our West Screen film for this week. Watch it at your own risk. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right. So that's a show. Um, Casey, what do you think? Uh, for me, I'd say Super 8's the film to beat, right? For the films remaining to come out for the summer. Super 8? Yeah. Did you see You've that? already seen it. It's already come out. No, but I'm saying uh, of the things we've seen, Green Lantern, Thor, oh, no, Transformers. No, I didn't like Super 8 at all. Oh, you I didn't? It was terrible. Really? No. I thought it was so boring. I was like, I couldn't wait for that to get over either. It was so... <laughs> So, so I've seen it. All, I've seen it before. I don't know why somebody made a movie again of a movie I've already seen. I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm so, I'm so mad at this guy." Really? He, I thought he was making something original. It was something so, so bad, and it's just I mean, and Spielberg's involved. I was like, "Oh, no wonder." It's just like this kind of film. I'm too just, much I'm homage. Just, I'm not to him. Yeah, too many, too nostalgic, too homages, and uh, yeah, I didn't like it at all. So, so what would you say is, no the, is the fi summer film to beat so far? We've still got... Yeah, no, there is no summer film. I mean, I liked The Hangover too, but I had to see it again to make sure it wasn't just like it was funny because I watched it for the first time. I thought it was hilarious. But mm. um, yeah, I mean, Thor, I was, I thought it was okay. I, I'm not dying to buy it on Blu-ray or anything like that. And that's, that's my definition of a good movie is if I want to buy the Blu-ray. Mm. And so right now, the only Blu-ray I'm, I'm buying is uh, Sucker Punch. As you probably know, yeah, it's the only movie I enjoyed so far this year that I was like, I got to see this again and again. Mm. Every other movie is just it's just popcorn crap. It's what about like the, the coming stuff? Here we've got Harry Potter. We've got uh, Cowboys and Aliens a bit later. Um, Cowboys and Aliens looks bad too. Looks looks. I mean, the stuff they've showed us looks crappy. I was like, this is it. It's like, hey, let's hide the aliens from the people who are going to be telling people how great this movie is. You know, <laughs> we went to see that that preview, and they're like, they didn't show us the aliens. I'm like. Why? It's just like Super 8. It didn't show us the alien, but it's like, oh, it's because the alien sucks. And then when you watch it, like, oh, yeah, the alien sucks. Mm. <laughs> right? It wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't good enough, right? And then so Cowboys and Aliens, the movie's called Cowboys and Aliens. They should show us the alien, and then we should go, holy crap, that looks cool. I can't wait to see this. But no, the aliens are like those giant aliens that don't move. They're stupid. And you know, <laughs> the Cowboys, they're like normal Cowboys. And one guy's got something on his arm, and that's it. I don't know. It looks, it looks stupid. It looks dumb. Yeah. I mean, Jane. Captain America, as I told you, is the only thing I'm looking forward to. But that last trailer was awesome, and I think Chris Evans will pull a will pull a Robert Downey Jr. and he will make it shine. Mm. Um, but other than that, I mean, what else is there? What about um, is the Planet of the Apes movie this summer or is that Christmas? Yeah, it is. It's it's yeah, Rise of the Apes. That, that looks okay too, but I I don't have high hopes for that because you know when it's in August, that means it usually sucks. Mm. It's in July or it sucks. Yeah. How about Harry right. Potter? Yeah, Harry Potter, yeah, well, I mean, I really like, I, I hate all those movies, but I like the last one a lot, so I'm hoping this one will 
kind of be the, in the same vein, which I'm sure it is, and uh, be entertaining. But I mean, come on, you know what's going to happen at the end. I don't, I haven't read the books, but I know what's going to happen at the end. So it's kind of like be very <laughs> Snape kills right? Dumbledore. <laughs> you know, you know, Voldemort has something to lose. Come on, I think he's going to lose. But I'm more looking forward to Pottermore.com than I am the movie, actually. Well, I've that's just, but you know, they, 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 what was that last week or so they were hyping that and hyping that. And all it is, yeah. is like, a, it's their own, uh, digital e-reader platform, right? Yeah. But it's going to be interactive though. And there's going to be a lot of little, little things inside. I think that makes it more, um, interactive and more come to life. So uh, I think, uh, it'll be it's more interesting. I don't know. I've, me. I've, I, I mean, the, 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 the Harry Potter movie, the Warner Brothers movie sites have been kind of interactive. It's always been flash based. So it's always been a, a a bit of a downer. I think for me this year for spectacle and and big popcorn movies, I think Fast Five is the one to beat, and it happens to be the movie the most practical, practical action. I, mean, I didn't see that. I didn't see it. Really, that was a good movie. It was. It was fun. It was fun. It's not a good movie by any chance, but I like that they use practical effects, and I like that it was so over the top but yet they they stuck with a lot of practical effects i mean there's some cgi but i mean look at you got you know the rock versus vin you know i don't think i don't think <laughs> megatron <Vin>. and <laughs> megatron and, and and what is it sentinel sentinel i you know the prime whatever transform it's not gonna match it's not gonna match the rock and vin diesel crashing through walls i mean cause that was awesome i love that because it was real it was human and it somehow had this ghetto soul yeah, ghetto soul that's what i call it ghetto soul so August we've got Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, we've got Final Destination Five. <laughs> Conan the Barbarian. Oh yeah, Conan. That looks that looks really good. Um the, the, the art design in that looks really, really good. Have you seen the trailer? For yeah. Conan? Oh no, no, not yet. Yeah, the whoever's doing the art design, at least from the trailer, um, they really took some time and studied, you know, some of the old uh Frazetta covers and and uh, some of the some of the artwork they did for the books, uh, because it looks really really different from Schwarzenegger's uh, Conan. All right, uh, yeah. So that's going to be our show for this week. Uh, big thanks to Casey Lau for stopping by and sharing his wisdom on things digital and filmic with us. So, yeah, thanks for coming by and taking the time. Uh, Thank you for having me. We did want to have you on, plan to have you on for Green Lantern, but we're glad we can have you on for Transformers. Uh, yeah. As always, thanks to Kevin Ma for keeping me on track and uh, bringing all the magic to the show that he brings every week. You're if you'd like to follow along with us, you can uh, find us over at the website, www.concast.com, um, or you can also stop by on iTunes. Leave us some comments over on the uh, over on the website. We get some comments from time to time, and we talk about them here on the show. You can follow us on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash concast, or you can follow Kevin over at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. That's one word. Uh, you can email us at the show at eastscreen at gmail.com. Um, send us a question, send us a comment, or send us a short uh, MP3 audio file, and we will play it here on the show. And if you'd like to follow along with what Casey's doing, you can check out his work over at neonpunch.com, or you can follow him on Twitter at twitter.com slash hypercasey. Um, so next time, we will be talking about uh, episode 74, the new Chrissy Chow local feature, Beach Spike. Uh, 
young Langmo models on the beach, on the falling on the beach sand. Uh, also talking Ooh. about Mr. Popper's penguins, and maybe, just maybe, if I can have time to go out, and the motivation to go out and see it, uh, the new Malick film, The Tree of Life, which I know Kevin has already seen. Yes. Um, and so, uh, we we might if if I do make it up there this weekend, I guess I could talk briefly about Wuxia and Jake Chan's best on your shoulder. Yeah, and we may we may have another. Uh, what what's that other weird movie? Uh, Mysterious Island, not the <laughs> H, not the H G Wells movie. This is just some like cheap, low budget local horror film. Uh, we may have that to talk about next week as well. All right. So again, uh, that's a show, and big thanks to the gentleman. And as always, we will wish you good viewing. And we'll see you next time. Thank you, KC, and see you next time, everybody. Bye.